Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Canton III, and we are here to review the 33rd film, 33, Jesus, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, The Marvels, directed by Nia DaCosta. Happy to have this panel here with us today. First, the super producer, Jake Christie. Jake, how are you? I'm doing well. I was just saying, it's always great to talk about a new movie. We only get a couple of them a year, and thankfully I like this one, because it's not fun to talk about a new movie if it's bad. I'll say that. Oh, yes, yes, that is for sure. We do have two guests, two friends of the show, two previous guests. First, Leah Marilla Thomas. She is a nerdalist. I used this with Hunter Radici a couple of weeks ago, so I figured, now, Leah, when I asked you before, and I, I called you a nerd journalist, now I'm going to properly combine the two. You are a nerdalist. How are you doing tonight? Uh, very nerdily, I must say. Yes. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I love the energy. I love the energy. And also, friend of the show, basically our, our matriarch on Discord, uh, Cecilia Stokes. Cecilia, how you doing? I am so honored to be christened matriarch. It's the one it's the one identity category that I've been trying to build for myself my whole life. So I gladly, I wear it with honor. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Yes, and we have this positive energy here, and I want to just quickly uh, get into everybody's theater experience, and we try and get a little bit more traditional as we we usually do on this show when it comes to the movies. We want to go through everybody's theater experience. So, Cecilia, I will start with you. What was the vibe like? What was the energy like? And and how'd you feel about it? Um. So I live in Madison, Wisconsin, which should probably provide as much context as like one would need. Um, but we also went to like the 3.30 Thursday showing. Um, and it so everyone was, was already shit-faced. <laughs> everyone was already shit-faced and not there. So it was pretty empty. I saw some more people coming in for the showing after us. Um, it was a smaller... A smaller crowd. I went with my husband was out of town, so my and my brother in law was in town for work, so he came with us and me and our, my two kids, Rosa and Henry, who are seven and eight, and we had a great time. Um, it was really interesting. Timmy, my brother in law, never hadn't seen anything post Endgame, so he was like, "I don't know what's going on," and I was like, "Well, Brent left town for work, and I've got to take it, so take it." Um, and so that was interesting. He had some interesting insight. Um, in that regard. So it was, a, it was a little lacking. I'm not going to lie. It was a little, a little disappointing, but. Gotcha. And, and Leah, how, and Leah, how about you? I know you, you went to a critic screening of this, correct? Yes, 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 yes. Yes. I'll do my bragging out of the way. So I went to the, the New York press screening, um, at, which, which they put in the IMAX at Lincoln Center, which is, I believe the largest screen in New York City. It's the largest um, screen, I think, on the East Coast. Yeah, oh, I wow. wouldn't be surprised. It's huge. Um, and so I was a little bit nervous, given, like, the temperature of critics that I'd, you know, been taking throughout the week. And I did hear some kind of, like, annoying chatter before the movie started behind me. And then, when the lights went out, some people went, woo! And I was I was said, oh, that's interesting. Um, and then you know, there was a decent amount of like good laughter and good responses and it was quite enjoyable ultimately 
Um, and then I, I saw it again over the weekend. Um, but it was at an Alamo draft house. So people mm. are eating uh, and drinking. <laughs> and so it was not quite as active, but still fine. People cool. seemed happy enough. Cool, cool. And Jake, how about you? So I also saw it at the Lincoln Center IMAX. Uh, that's where I see basically any big movie. Any movie that's going to have anything in IMAX, I see it there because um, – just because of FOMO. I'm just terrified that it will be slightly better if I see – you know what I mean? I just don't want someone to say, it was so good at the Lincoln Center IMAX. You should have seen it there. Um, I saw it with a friend of the show, Michael Springthorpe. Um, it was a really fun time. Uh, it – you know, because the thing about that, like, theater, like – that that theater will be packed no matter what. Like we saw a sold out Boa's Afraid screening in that theater, so like any movie is gonna be full. So um, there was a lot of laughter, and it was just like I think it was pretty clear that by then, um, like the good thing about it is that uh, people who are there want to be there for opening night. And while I can sometimes find like Marvel MCU super fans a little much. I would much rather see it with them than see it with people who are kind of like on the fence about it. And then I ended up seeing it again on Saturday morning at 1130 at my local theater, the uh, Regal Kaufman Astoria, which not to dox myself is within like 10 minutes. So that's why I see everything there. Uh, and the theater was almost completely empty because it was 1130. It, it was an 1130 screening on a Saturday and there was a 1230 RPX screening. So like I, there's no reason for me to go to the one I did, but there was a small child in the audience who kept asking his mom where the Avengers were. And so that was nice. Um, but yeah, overall, I think, I think I had a, I was glad I went to the IMAX one because I could tell the movie would be, I'm glad I saw it with a lot of laughter because it is such a joyful experience of a movie, you know? And, and I, I will say that if there's any laughter at a press screening, that's kind of a win because I've been to some where people are so into their job that mm -hmm. you feel kind of crazy if you're the only one reacting to things like a normal audience member would. So we did it. Yeah, yeah no, that, no, it's good to always have good energy. I went to Sheepshead Bay IMAX Thursday at 310. Actually, I was surprised at how many, uh, how many people were there. It was a like a decent, like, almost full theater for the for the most part for a 310 showing um especially on a school day uh so i thought that was i thought that was interesting i thought the energy was pretty good there were there were a decent amount of laughter i think there were obviously some mark out moments people obviously went nuts at the post credits scene and, and stuff like that but i thought it was a it was better energy than i expected because it's not even Cause what was the what was the movie before this? Guardians of the Galaxy. I saw. Well, I saw. Oh, that's right. I saw that screening with Hunter. But um, after the fact, I still saw it the same weekend it came out again. And that one had. And I wouldn't say like not bad energy, but obviously it's a different tone of movie. But this one, it just the best way to describe it is kind of the way that Jake. You could see the smile on his face as he talks about his theater experience is there is there was a palpable energy to this film which allows me to transition into our general thoughts on the film and i'll actually go first here and i'll just say that admittedly when this movie started i was like okay there's a lot going on it's happening very fast and 
like from an editing standpoint, I would say like that's like my one real critique of the film. Like there is just like certain points where I feel like scenes kind of jumped here, jumped there, jumped there. And I was like, okay, I was getting a little worried. But then it's like started to cool down, started to simmer down. And we got to the basics and really focused on the three leads. And I think that is where the movie was is at its best, where not just singularly, but collectively, I really enjoyed their chemistry. It really pops off the screen for me. Um, Amon Vellani, I can't say enough. We'll talk about her later, but my goodness. Like, I, I, when I go into, like, basketball comps, like, I, um, I'll say, like, LeBron, 9 10 like, when he's at, you know, when you're talking about youthful LeBron, where... No, I'm thinking before that. I'm thinking tw- the 25 straight points get the Pistons. Like, are you thinking 07? Yeah, like, uh-huh. early. No, nah, like, you know what it is? Because I'm thinking, like, the Eastern Conference Finals 2009 against the Magic, right. where he averaged, like, 35, 7, and 7. I know y'all don't understand this. <laughs> sorry, sorry, be, sorry, sorry, no, sorry, I'm, sorry. I apologize. There's actually going to be more references that I have that y'all are not going to understand <laughs> later in this podcast, but I just got to keep going. But um, that's kind of, like, from an energy standpoint, like, from her. And and just there's a lot of fun. The Khan family is just so so cool to be around stuff like that different tone of nick fury in this movie which i know some people like thrown off they do the whole well why wasn't he like that in secret invasion why was there no transition but listen man this is a different movies different energy come on let's like let's yeah. chill out but well, you want over- his energy to be dog shit in this movie That's <laughs> <what> I- <laughs> <laughs> If some like yeah, I understand if his energy was really good in Secret Invasion, I would understand why to keep it. But like, you want him to be the whole hobbling, confused man? That's what I'm saying. So at the end of the day, if you want me to put a ribbon and a bow on my general thoughts, I would just say I had a very enjoyable time with this film. Had a lot of laughs. Had a lot of just honestly, like a lot of smiles. I smiled a, a lot watching this movie. So it, it felt good to see it. Um, Leah, what yes. are your general thoughts on this movie? This is exactly what I want from an MCU movie. Like, tone-wise, connectivity-wise, I felt great at the beginning, but only because uh, Darben's henchman is played by television actor Daniel Ings, who I like, and I felt very safe in his hands, but that's just me. (laughs) There were a couple of sort of, I guess because they shot in London, some deep-cut British TV actors on this show. Um, Yeah. I'm very happy. Um, I will. Well, we'll get to teases. Oh yeah. Later. That's a different issue. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and Jake, what were your general thoughts on, on this movie? You know, I try to remember who it was, but someone said that this was going to be a wacky and silly MCU movie and they got made fun for it. And oh, it was like the director who said that. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I think that that's <laughs> the thing about it is that it actually was like wacky and silly. And I feel like it the thing i think i think that's we underrate is that with a lot of the, these mcu properties these characters really have not spent that much time like just chilling out hanging out together like if you think about like how many scenes there are with like steve rogers and tony stark not in like a major plot point there's not a ton and i just think it's really fun to see superheroes just in a low stake situation like it just like there's just something and I and I think that Leah, you're absolutely right. Like this is what I want from most of these movies. In that, like, not that not that I don't have like issues with some of the stuff in the movie, but I feel like it understood that we want to watch these movies because we want to watch the journey these characters go on, and the stakes only need to be as important as they are for those characters. And like, we didn't need 
like I, I I noticed a lot that this movie was clearly ch- chopped up a lot. I mean, I don't think the original shooting script was supposed to be an hour forty five, but I think it really helps show what's important. That like mm-hmm. uh, people are like, oh, this villain's a little bit weak. And the thing is, yes, it's not the most you know, deeply, deeply written role. But honestly, I don't want, I wouldn't want less time with, you know, Carol and Kamala and Monica in exchange for the villain. I'd rather the villain be weak and have a good time with the characters. You know what I mean? So yeah, I just, it, I think the smile thing is really true. Like it was the MCU movie that I think just understood, like, this is a crowd pleaser. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And Cecilia. I, echo everything everyone else has said the tone of it is very light it's approachable uh rosa who is famously very weird about superhero things really enjoyed it i mean the cats were the flurkins were a great touch um so like tonally i really enjoyed it but and hopefully we'll be able to get into this a little bit more it is in in some ways i see it as being a little bit of like a little bit of a political war horse too. Like there's a lot to be said about all female coalition and those kind of like larger political implications, which I was trying to avoid doing that. But the more that I watched it and the more that I thought about it over the weekend, I was like, this actually has some real meat to work with that I will be thinking about and unpacking, you know, over time. And some of that's also because I've been reading feminist scholarship all weekend so i was like doing some of that work already but Who among us um but it, there's so, some really powerful stuff there that i'm i am excited by with you saying that cecilia and you said you know i don't know how much we're going to get into it i actually would like for you to get into that a little <laughs> bit if you could yeah so it's really tough with this movie. I was really trying to resist reading it strictly allegorical, like one to one. Carol represents this, and Monica represents this, and da 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 da. But in many ways, like it really does from the marketing, from you know the movie start to finish, and kind of even the contextual elements of the strike. I've um, some of the rumors about certain things. Like it, this does read as a feminist coalition story and when i'm talking about feminist coalitions i'm talking about like you know historical those historical moments and within feminism that are like women working across racial lines gender lines class lines for a specific purpose and i think that that's most articulated in in their the fact that they become entangled with each other their powers entangle their bodies in each other and their first response to being entangled and like physically enmeshed in each other's positionalities and time and space their first response is not to be like we have to like try to do our best to like stay in our own the their thing is they come up with a language we have that whole beautiful montage of them figuring out how to do their powers together and they come up with a language to be able to address this larger problem together they're like we are they quickly recognize we are now we are in this together period let us figure out how to how to attack these things together and i think that that is so beautiful the fact that it's happening at the level of the body and time and place speaks to 
what a lot of like women of color feminist writers have written about regarding like positionality um, and standpoint theory as far as like looking being able to take one's unique intersection of identity categories and seeing things as they are and how these women in this film are having to switch those standpoints regularly I thought was just so beautiful and there's a lot of like more paranoid readings that you can do of it but Mm -hmm. at the outset I really enjoyed that aspect of the film you know I'm actually glad you said that because I didn't think of the idea of the switching perhaps leading to different perspectives from Mm -hmm. each of them seeing you know it doesn't start out that way but as Mm -hmm. it goes as the movie kind of builds along and and the point that you mentioned about them training together and that idea i thinking about the movie after the fact i was like yo i really like that a lot because in a lot of instances in you know specifically mcu we'll see people become heroes and they just hero it out and they just like they're there and that's it Mm-hmm. Nah, they came up with they came up with a plan. They had an idea to you know to execute and stuff like that. It didn't work out necessarily at the beginning, but it kind of coalesces at the mm-hmm. end where it's like they're bang 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 and they're going. So like that 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 thing gets my mind going, and um, I appreciated that fact too. Uh, Leah, what did you think of what Cecilia had to say there? Um, I hadn't even thought about that, but I'm also not. <laughs> I haven't been reading everything. Um, At least not this week. Um, Yeah, I was very struck by how, how do I want to phrase this? How the film dealt with being a role model Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how Monica and Kamala are juxtaposed against each other. Well, in a way, because Kamala has this like very pure hero worship Monica's been there and grown out of it and there were just these small moments that Tiana Paris is so good where you can just see her see herself in Kamala and just like die like a little bit and just and just think like oh that's I used that's so sad um and then it comes like to this beautiful moment where they talk it out and and even Kamala realizes, like, I didn't give you space to be a real person, which is a very deep thing for a teenager to say. Mm-hmm. But I 100% believe that a Gen Z, Gen Alpha, I'm not sure where the line is, teen would come no to that knows. conclusion on her own. <laughs> yeah. The thing that I really loved about their interactions is that I, it's weird. I almost, you know, like you're seeing a moment in a movie that, like, give you like hot heat behind the eyes because you almost want to cry because it comes out of nowhere. I had never seen him. I was so shocked and pleasantly surprised and happy when Carol took the time to say, I'm sorry, either way I spoke to you back there. Like that is the thing you don't see in these movies. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. in action movies, in sci-fi movies, characters yell at each other all the time in the heat of battle and just like, that's just the cost of doing business. And it's like, no, like they're, and, and I feel like, what this movie did, and I assume it wasn't, I assume it wasn't that it got cut out. I think that they just didn't write it this way. And it was really refreshing is that like, they didn't have any of the bullshit, like friction that any team up movie has, you know? And yeah. I'm not saying that it's always manufactured, but it does feel like a lot of times when you have movies where like people are coming together, it's like, you guys know that there's a goal you both all want to achieve. 
if you were real people, you'd be able to put your differences aside for a second. And I just like the fact that, like, even though... Like, the thing I didn't want to have happen is I didn't want Monica to be so resentful at Carol that she, like, jeopardizes the mission or whatever. And let's be honest, a lot of movies would have done that, you know? Would have been, like, they need to squat. Like, the thing about it is they end up squashing their problems, but that is actually not mm-hmm. what's preventing them from solving the whole problem. Like, they're able to get past it in some... Like, they're able to work together even if they don't have the fully actualized... Cause, because they're they respect each other on some level, and so yeah, I just thought that like it was a really, um, it was nice that it didn't you know, it didn't feel like they needed, like they didn't need you know, they they didn't do the storyline where Kamala meets Carol, and Carol's mean to her, and then that's what the whole movie's about. It's like no, it's because that's this movie's a more positive and it's a good example. It's not you know oh my god, these characters can't get along until the very end and then they beat the enemy and then it's over. And even when they say, like, no, Kamal, we're not a team, it's tuned a little differently. You know, it's... Oh, it's... Yeah. Yes, yes. Now, to kind of... Just to reduce expectations. Let's not jump all... Let's not jump out the the window here. Exactly. Um, You know, it's funny. Like, the, the, the Carol Danvers thing, I've talked about it across our episodes over the past few months and in, in leading up to this movie and kind of my anticipation of what we would see from this character. And I have come to the conclusion after watching this movie that I feel like Carol Danvers works better in a team setting as opposed to a solo setting. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. the biggest thing that comes away, especially with the whole vibe, especially at the beginning where you really get this like real loner sense and just this person who doesn't, man, I, I need my girl to go to therapy. Like she really needs some. Like for real, because it's just like this, this like when she when she has that interaction with Monica at the beginning, she just assumes like like that everything is good. And and I, I don't think she said even sensed the energy that was coming off of Monica off the rip. So when I see that, I'm like, oh, man. And I, and just as the movie goes on and she kind of starts to realize, uh, you know, as far as uh, Monica's concerned and. To be fair, to be fair to Carol, I'll be finally be fair because I've been a little hard on her. You, you hard to Captain Marvel? <laughs> I've been a little, I've been a little hard. I did, I did the whole Mama went to the store and ain't never come back yeah. thing. <laughs> but um, in this instance, when you are somebody as omnipotent as she is in terms of her power and everything that she's done, that singular moment where she says like, "Hey." I destroyed and I blew up all this shit. And this is a lot to deal with. So it's difficult for a person who has all that power and who honestly like got it by accident and then has to deal with these things where she's going back to try and find memories and and stuff like that because it's the only thing that she could hold on to. And I think that's what gets lost in some of the conversation about the character. And I'm glad that this movie provided some of that. Even the even the scene where she visits Monica's mom um as she as she's uh you know getting close to succumbing from cancer. And to get that context what I think was important. But mm-hmm. yes, the the main point that I, I did want to hit on that was yes, I feel like Carol in the future does excel around whether these uh whether it's these two kamala and monica or in just any avenger setting i feel like she would do much better in those instances and this is kind of like where my larger point on the marvels and i know like you could get into the box office stuff or whatever but 
if they made this, if they were able to make this a franchise, like I feel like it would have legs if we weren't caught in the muck of all of the bullshit that came out from the media over the last couple of weeks with no context to anything. But I really do feel like it would have legs. Lee, you wanted to say something? And, yeah, well, and the fact that there was the SAG strike was going on until the day the movie opened, so there was That's nothing it. to counter it. Like, yes. yeah. And the thing too is, can't like, really. It sucks that you can't yeah. really assess fairly. No, you can't because it's no, not a normal right. situation. And like mm-hmm. anyone who's watched, who had seen Brie Larson and stuff before, no one would ever say that the best place for her is to be like a stoic, unknowable person. Like she is like so knowable. Like that is, I think, <laughs> her superpower. I mean, mm-hmm. a friend of the show, Michael Springthorpe, who I already mentioned, tweeted that like the, the this movie understands that her star power is that she's incredibly beautiful and charismatic, but for some reason she actually has a passion for selling Nissans. Like it's that she is kind of like the thing I love about if you look at her social media, she is actually like just seems like a dork, like a norm, but like not in like a nerd, but like a she likes to do videos of her making stuff in the air fryer. You know what I mean? And I feel like that energy is something that this movie kind of gets across with her, like not knowing how to host people, just having goose running around. Um, I think it's like such an interesting detail that she, until like other people are around, she walks around her ship half wearing her suit all the time. Like that's not normal behavior, you know? Um, and so, like, I think that there is a weird energy that is funny if it's juxtaposed with other people, but when it's she's alone, it's like, it, it's, it feels like such a waste of her talent. Like, yeah. there, are, there are actresses who are good at being stoic, and she's not one of them. I mean, at least she's not, that's not what she's best at. Yeah, I think the material that she's been given, I think in the first Captain Marvel movie, and just, um, I mean, I would say even generally till this one kind of doesn't give her a chance to really be you know be the character because i mean carol from the books i know there is a lot there's a lot more snark there's a lot more personality and there's just there isn't just the i'm strong woman and that's it like there's more to this character so you know it's nice to kind of see and this is the greatest thing about having iman there kind of bring that out of of Captain Marvel in this movie, which I thought was cool. And that's like really, you know, is the testament to what Aman Vellani is, you know, is as a as an actor to this to this point in her very, very like early, early days doing this. And let me just transition to her, cause it was my number one takeaway from the movie was that this person is who they should be building their franchises around. Because the one thing, and we talked about this the other day with Loki, when the person is into it themselves mm-hmm. to that degree and is great at it, then that's all you need. That really is all you need, especially when this person is as charismatic as she is um, just throughout. Like, And you feel that vibe. You feel the energy that like how she bounces off of folks and is just able to do different things like i think the emoting even though i wish we would have gotten a little bit more with the crease scroll thing because i feel like they've kind of used that that uh conflict which is a big comic book story and kind of use it as a footnote to some of these movies if they had dove into that a little bit deeper i think you could have gotten more out of it but as far as like you know when you see kamala try and save everybody over there and carol's like nah that's not how it works You, you know it and then she's just like crestfallen. She can't, she can't believe it. So like you have 
all of these different emotions that she's playing, like, you know, her excitement and then, you know, fangirling over Carol, which there was this one dude online who was like, well, you know, I don't know why that she's fangirling so much. You ain't how you ain't see you saw that was a problem. I, I felt like that was a big problem. And it's like, yo, I mean, we got we had we had Spider-Man basically turn into Iron Man Jr. Yeah. over the first couple movies and everybody was cool with it. A fan being fans is like that's all of us in a way. Like we've all exhibited those those emotions and those feelings. So to get crazy over that is kind of wild. I mean, that's who Miss Marvel is. That's it, the other part about it. Also it also it, it worked. It was funny. Like yeah, I think that, that no matter what like I I'm almost never like, there, is there a version of this movie where a fangirling gets annoying? Yes, but it's with a less talented actress and less good writing. Bingo. And so, yeah. and so like, yeah, it was funny each time. And I think that, like, what I said right coming out of the movie is the idea that Amon Vellani was planning on going to college to study, like, graphic design is a bit like if Victor Wemanyana was going to be, like, a construction worker. He's a really tall basketball player, guys. Um, <laughs> like, it's just like, what do you mean? Like, she wasn't going to do this for a living? I just don't understand. Her face was, she was born to be in close-up. I don't get it. And yeah. I, I will also say one thing that I really like about her is that like sometimes the the fact that she is still like inexperienced in this world and acting in front of a camera really works with the character because she has this excess of emotions and like it bleeds into like when the camera is kind of like shifting focus from her to someone else, she's still sitting there emoting and doing this thing. Like she's so present and her her emo she just lets her emotions go. And that's such a it's such a teenager thing, but it's like it's such a teenager fangirl thing where it's just like, I, I am not done feeling this feeling and I'm going to keep feeling it whether you are here to witness it or not. So you can go pan over to Monica, who's doing some serious shit, but I'm just going to still like, you know, keep processing. And it works really well with you, those moments. I really enjoyed those little moments where I was like, you're not in this scene anymore, but you still are. <laughs> You've left a little, a little ghost of yourself. And that's so nice. Yes. And Leah, what what did you think of Iman in this movie? Okay, well, let me preface this by saying I I do think that um, Marvel has introduced a few too many kids with gee whiz energy. But if (laughs) anyone's going to have it, it's Kamala Khan. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't love it with America Chavez because that's not the America Chavez I know. I didn't really. I think they went a little bit overboard with Kate Bishop as well. And we will get to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is who Kamala is 100% and Iman is just perfect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to, to Jake's point, if it isn't, if it's somebody else, then perhaps maybe it gets annoying. And we've seen, we've seen kids be annoying in movies all the time with all the, all the pluckiness and, yeah. and stuff like that. But I mean, it's, it's, it's just very difficult. Like, Right at the beginning of the movie where she switches back and then her parents are telling her that Captain Marvel was in the house. Just the look on her face was just like priceless. Oh, right tiny, there. tiny Billy and Tommy, too. They're also on my shit list. <laughs> With their yeah. ice cream song. Get out of here. Grow up. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, Iman was great. And uh, another traditional character uh, category that we normally do on this show for movies is um, what was our favorite scene? What was the favorite? What was the best scene in this movie to each and everyone? Uh, Jake, I'll start with you. I'll say, hmm, that's tough. Because I think, like, obviously the moments where they're all together 
are great. I'll but I'll go with um, the honestly the montage where they're doing all the powers is just great. It, that's uh, it's it's something we don't often see in these movies where it's like a fully like you know silly montage. Um, I'm glad that the, I remember when the first trailer came out and it had intergalactic on it. I said they better not just be blowing this for the trailer. This better be in the movie because like it's such an obvious song to have in there. And uh, yeah, it, that was just a lot of fun. Um, and I can imagine myself you know watching that on YouTube at 11 at night in a couple months. Nice. And and Leah, how about you? Well, that's what I was going to... The double dutch is what I was going to say, that part of it. So <laughs> I, I'll i stay true to my musical theater roots and say, say the musical planet. Yes. <laughs> I wish we'd been there longer. I wish they had sung at Zawe. Yeah. I wish she had tried to communicate. Like, But I'll take what I had. I'll take what I got. Nice. Nice. And Cecilia? I was also going to say the montage. It was the one that I was sitting with thinking about the most this weekend but um to add to toss another one in there i mean i know that this is i can't remember who said it in discord uh there's some high key ridiculous moments but the, oh that uh, work yeah. yeah cat herding was so great and specifically the like little shot of brie larson or captain marvel kind of like sticking her arms out all dorkily and like chasing after the cats like that little moment right after she had just done some like big cosmic superpower thing i was like this is so sweet and my kids were like freaking out next to me so it made me and i'll say this the moment that i realized what song was in the background i almost leapt out of my seat (laughs) i was just like because anything too was like that's a joke that i guarantee you like half the people see the movie probably are forget that that song's in cats but just like (laughs) chef's kiss and then I saw people criticizing this one, like, oh, that's too silly. They're going to make people eat cats. It's like, bro, once you introduce cats that can have tentacles and can, like, eat all the matter they want, that's already silly. What are you doing trying to litigate how serious you're going to be with cats that have tentacles coming out of their mouths? <laughs> no, man. Um, for me, uh, yeah, it's it's hard not to go with the montage scene because I do, I do feel like from – you know, to what I mentioned earlier about seeing heroes practice being heroes as opposed to just heroing. Mm-hmm. Um, that was cool. And just kind of like seeing when the movie really, to me, kind of just starts to flow and it flows from then to the end to me is when they get together as a group. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that was kind of like the the peak of that for me where you know they're going back and forth and they're just and they're having fun doing it and they're getting used to each other they're getting friendly with each other and that um you know that was that was awesome to see um i a hat tip to a hat tip to the scene cuz i thought it was funny when uh kamala's parents were were trying to talk to her you know she's going on this mission and whatnot mm-hmm. and monica's trying to reassure them and <laughs> Kamala's mom goes to goes, you know, speaks in her in her, in her uh, native tongue like I'll I'll kill her. <laughs> and I was just like, yo, <laughs> immigrant families, yo, salute to <laughs> so salute to immigrant families. That's the energy. That's the energy that they be on. So mm-hmm. so that that was a lot of fun. That was a fun scene too. And um, I'm trying to think of like an like like an action one because the action. Oh, shout out to the VFX. That was pretty good. And that was pretty good in this. Not part, anything. Yeah. yeah, I would say like not anything like too crazy, 
uh, stood out to me because I, I I know lately on the Marvel tip when it comes to VFX, people be talking a lot like, oh, you know, things are out of whack. But I actually thought that they did a pretty good job on this. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think the big thing that they did right, like, I think th- what what this kind of shows because there was there were moments obviously where like when they have you know big action pieces where people are flying around and it's the character you know is CGI like it doesn't always look perfect mm-hmm. but I think that what this showed is that if you get the backgrounds right it's everything's forgiven like I think that that's I think what I come back to is almost all the Marvel shots that people complain about the CGI for it's because the background looked bad and like as long as they clearly took the time to make all the space scenes look right a lot of these look like they're on really big sets. And so I think that there's, it's, we're just way more forgiving if the only mm-hmm. thing that's fake that looks fake is the character, you know? Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, that's fair. Um, biggest critique of the movie, if there's any, I kind of got into it earlier with the editing. I feel like that's my bit. Yeah, that's probably my biggest thing. But um, Cecilia, what, what would you say is your biggest critique? Of the movie? I do think the biggest critique is uh, the villain. The villain. I could not. I mean, I could, I, we knew her motivations. We knew kind of, you mm-hmm. know, her history with, with Carol. Um, but, and I couldn't exactly locate exactly why I didn't really care for it. But every time one of her scenes came up, I was like, all right, well, I kind of just want to get back to. Very phase one-ish. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a good, a good comparison. It actually reminded me of like Thor villains, like Mm-hmm. Or one and two villains where you're just like, had, had, okay. a, yeah, had a little Malekith. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I could see Except it. Except this time they made the correct decision to have her speak English. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Le- uh, Leah, how about you? Um, This might open a can of worms, but yeah. my biggest critique is I think there was too much recapping uh, Miss Marvel and WandaVision and Captain Marvel. That's fair. Um, I agree. In terms of just like actual flashbacks, yes, I agree. Uh, as much yeah. as I love a show, don't tell. I, we didn't. I didn't need to be watching because I already watched them, and I understand that there was a perception that this movie was too much homework. Um, I disagree, but I also think that they didn't. The things that they did show, it, it wasn't super helpful. So, like I said, my brother-in-law, who was yeah. with me, hadn't yeah. seen any of it, and he was like, "I don't understand why when Miss Marvel got both bangles at the end, she didn't explode like that other lady did." Like, I'm not, and I was like, "Well, Ooh, that has cool. to do with her power set, I think," well, and like, blah blah blah. And he was like, "Yeah, n- nothing about her powers was explained, and I really needed that because it seems like there was something really critical there, especially with the whole bangle element." And I was like, he was very confused, and so it was one of those things where. It seems like they were trying to capture, at least especially for Miss Marvel, like the tone that they were mm-hmm. that she was bringing in, mm-hmm. but they didn't really explain some of those like intricacies of her powers because it is actually kind of a complicated like power set that she yeah. has. That it's like she's a mutant, it's activated by this thing, and da, 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 like it is mm-hmm. a little weird. So, yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah Leah, I actually like that you mentioned that because I was like, and I know like we MCU heads, so we. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of get the we kind of get the, the the drift of everything. So, to a degree, that's always going to kind of feel like ah, I don't really need this. Just get me to the business. Let's let's get mm-hmm. let's get let's get cracking over here. But um, I, I feel what you're saying on that front, uh, Jake. What about you? So uh, this is actually brought up in the Discord earlier today, and you can join Niku. Yeah, for three dollars, and Niku and the Discord brought us up. And this is a thing that really didn't trouble me because I'm not someone who like a plot hole or whatever actually troubles me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bit where Carol is told at the end that she can use her power to reignite, reignite Hollow's son. 
I'm fine with that being the way it's resolved, but it needs to be more complicated for there. There needs to be a reason why she just didn't do that already. Like I, it, the reason she didn't do that already can't just be, she didn't think to do it. Like I, I, I that I was kind of like, why, why is why did she wait this long? Like, cause I, I can't simultaneously believe that she feels a lot of regret over what she did to the Kree and that she never once realized, Oh wait, I have energy powers. I maybe could try to reignite the sun, especially because of how quickly it happens. If it was a complicated process, so it was like, I need X, Y, Z thing in order to reignite the sun. I'm, but the fact that there was nothing, it was just her powers literally get on their own, reignite the sun. I'm like, well, that undercuts the whole thing of her talking about how much regret she had, because she could have reignited the sun this whole time. Yeah, I think that's yeah. When he when he uh when he posted that earlier, I thought about it, and it was kind of like one of those things where we needed the, we needed this device to to kind of further something along. Which I you know I I understand it happens sometimes. This is where if you really wanted to think about it heavy, which I don't think this movie is is trying to do, is have you think about stuff heavy. They're trying to just get you. It's really this movie's trying to entertain you. Uh, more so than anything else and that's why like you know i you, you have a thought about it but then at the same time i don't know like i had a lot of fun watching uh for watching sure. the power sets and even that that end scene there where dar ben just um explodes and it's just like yeah, that's pretty cool. And then it well, was going back and forth. Yeah, go ahead, Cecilia. It, well, what I'll say is like, yeah, mm-hmm. it did kind of read as like a she just didn't think of it. Is that the only reason? But I, the part of Carol's journey in this film too seems to be that because she hasn't had people with her for so long, is that she's also kind of like out of touch with herself and what she can do. And there's just kind mm-hmm. of there she has an insecurity it seems like she's still insecure about what she can do she's brought Mm -hmm. in kind of this like you know aura in the movies leading up to this like i can do anything but in this one that gets shakier because it seems like it's like the first time that she's talked to other people and i would say like as a woman when you're around other women like there is those emotional barriers just kind of like come down a little easier and so she's actually able to be like I messed up and that's why they call me the annihilator and I don't know what to do with this. And I don't know what my power, like it seems like she still hasn't figured out her powers logics quite fully. Mm -hmm. So I was able to kind of make sense of it in that regard, but as like part of the story, it is kind of like a, it's been literally the, the the thing is I just need it to be, I not need, because once again, I don't need this movie to do anything, but (laughs) I just would like it to have been a little harder or to have another because it the with the speed with which it happens, I it's hard for me to believe that she didn't realize she could do it because she does it so quick. Like you know what I mean? Like the fact that it is kind of just like an afterthought scene, I even if it's something like I didn't, you know, think that they would want me to try or like I don't know. I that but that was the thing I bumped on and I only bring it up because I had the thought and then when someone else put it in the Discord, I'm like, okay, that wasn't I'm not the only person who's having that thought. But beyond that, I don't have you know, any major complaints except for the fact that they clearly cut a lot of stuff out from the singing planet. And yes, I'm mad that they did, did that. I'm mad that they did that. Um, they, yeah, I think, you know, I think it was one of those instances where they were like, do we really do we really feel like this is a bit that will go too long and will annoy, will annoy folks? And my, and my counter to that would be, if you want to be the goofy, wacky movie that Nia DaCosta says the movie can be, just lean into it a little bit I, further. My suspicion, which uh, is maybe is pro- not too cynical, but cynical, is that 
I suspect that they got really scared by the boys aren't going to like this movie, and so they cut out musical stuff yep. because musical is feminine coded. Um, you know, it's like it's like uh, you know when they'll when there'll be a trailer for a musical that goes online and there's no singing in it. Um, uh, Leah's for the audio listeners. Leah is enthusiastically shaking her head, They're but no, I think that, that um, I will say. Perhaps yeah. the line that I've been thinking about the most since I left the theater, just because I think Brie Larson's delivery of it is incredible, is when she says, oh, no, he's bilingual. <laughs> like, I think that that's just like a perfect joke. It's the dumbest joke, and it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't understand you if you don't sing. <laughs> he's bilingual. <laughs> oh, man. Are there any other Are there any other particular scenes or bits? Well, I think we got to talk some more about there? Monica and Tiana Paris. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, yeah, well, I mean... I was going to get, see, the problem is, like, the real big thing that I wanted to say about her, uh, besides, uh, first of all, let me be just very respectful. Mm-hmm. I think she fills out that outfit very well. <laughs> um, uh, but besides that, I thought the emotional range that she was able to show, not just um, throughout the movie in her dealings with with uh, with Carol and uh, with Kamala to a degree, I thought her reaction to the memory thing was interesting. That was jarring for her to obviously see her mother again in that light, see her sick, and obviously see her talk to Carol in that in that way. Was a, I think that was a nice touch. And I, we'll get to the post credit scene later, but I thought the acting that she did in that brief moment when she sees her 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 a version of her mom again yo that was like yo she really turned it up i i, I was very I, I was very moved by by what she was able to do in this movie but jake since you brought it up talk about it a little bit sir I thought that the thing that she did really well in the scenes, especially in the one scene with Carol, like in the bottom of the ship where she uses her powers to, you know, fix whatever, which I think is a really nice scene. Because I, I like the way that her powers are kind of allegorical for being grown up. Mm-hmm. That, like, obviously she's grown up, but, like, the thing that's more surprising to Carol is that she has powers. Mm-hmm. But I, I love the way that she kind of played... She played an adult trying to express feelings that are still the same as when she had a kid like when she was a kid like the pain she's feeling is not rational like an adult will feel it but she's trying to articulate in that way and i think that like it wasn't once again in the same way that i like how there's no massive that that these characters are gentle to each other generally i like that she is enough of an adult to realize that to, to simulta- she can simultaneously say, it really hurt that you didn't come back. I could have used you. But she's also not, like, snot crying like she's 12, you know? She doesn't need to return to that. She's not in arrested development because of this pain. But she's still able to feel it. And I feel like that's, like, once again, I think that that's a co- complex, realistic emotion that, in between all the goofiness and silliness, I think that all that stuff is grounded because, you know... Uh, she feels like i think that she's really in even if she doesn't have the biggest laugh lines at the three i think she's really integral to a lot of the humor and the chemistry working and also she's incredibly intelligent yes but i think she's integral to working because i think you need a really grounded person like she's both a straight man she has her own jokes too but like she is able to kind of bridge that Mm -hmm. she's both very intelligent but also very emotionally intelligent and i thought it was i was really i really liked the performance a lot and i don't want it to go undersung because i think obviously like amon in my opinion is the mvp but you know every mvp has a great supporting cast around it you know Yes, uh, uh, Black Girl Magic, Black is Beautiful, that's all I Oh my god, by the way, I saw someone on Facebook, because I check Facebook to see something about, like, a birthday. I saw, like, a viral post that was like, a real line from this movie is she doesn't know how to fly, and uh, Nick Fury says, use Black Girl Magic. And I'm like, 
you have never hung out with a single person who isn't white in your whole life, have you? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Angry? Oh man, throwing it to Leah. What did you th- what you think of Monica in this movie? I mean, incredible. And I've been um, Monica Rambeau is one of my friends' favorite heroes, like period. So I have been hearing about when are we going to get Monica like Monica Rambeau in the MCU for over a decade, and I'm so thrilled. I'm so happy for her. I'm so happy for me. I think. I mean, I already talked about her like watching her childhood die reflected like off of. Mm-hmm. I phrased that poorly. Mourning her childhood in in watching Kamala. Um, uh, what else? Yeah, the post credit incredible. I like that she wore shorts on the plane. That's something you're only going to get with female directors. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Yeah, she's so funny. She has a very distinct sense of humor when they're on the singing planet, and she's just like, "Like, where's the prince? Where's the prince? Hey, it's so good." And, and I love not- the moments where she allows herself to slip back into seeing Carol as Auntie Carol, yeah. and like then she kind of quickly corrects herself, like, "No, no, no, I can't feel that way." Well, I love all, that. Yeah, like we all regress a little bit around mm-hmm. like family members. Yes, yes, very yeah, yeah. That was cool, uh, Ce- Cecilia. Yeah, I mean. So Monica was actually Rosa's favorite character, um, which took me surprise, surprise because you're you're right. She's not the most like of the three, the most like charismatic on the screen or has the most laugh lines. But there is something about her character that feels it has a groundedness and it feels um, soft somehow. And I really was happy to see her go through kind of an, a, an emotional journey quite a bit in this film. And I, I know that when we did the previews pod, I was like, I think I would be okay if she stayed a little mad for a little longer. And what I thought this film did a really good job with was not making the beef between the two of them be the central, like the mm-hmm. animating plots. It was there, but it was a side thing that we kind of were like, okay, we're just going to trust that it's going to take care of itself on its own time and I think with Jake talking about how there's those moments where she like slips and starts to see her as Auntie Carol again and then has to like bring herself back uh does make her it makes her feel more approachable but it also just makes that that tension it brings the fact that those tensions those inner conflicts like are messier than just you left us how dare you like there there's still a tenderness there that she can't quite reconcile with her frustration and feeling um abandoned by carol and then that ends up getting resolved over over the course of the film i yeah she was great i loved monica no i think the i think the thing that jake said about emotional intelligence is like a really important thing when you when you factor in that stuff because i mean it's like you equate it to real life we've all been in fights with people we've all fights with people we love in terms of just like arguments or whatever it is how do you come back from that what is the what is the route that you go through to get to a place are you the first one to make the move Sometimes people are like, I don't want to be the first one to make a move, even if I feel like the even if I feel like I'm justified in being mad. But in this case, Monica feels like she's justified in being mad. But even then, you know, as Carol's having uh, trouble fixing the the issues with the ship, she goes to her. It's a very soft and it's a very like small moment, mm-hmm. but it's a small moments that you appreciate when somebody makes the first move, even with the fact because it shows that this person 
is not only thinking of themselves in that moment, they're also thinking like not only of the larger mission, but I care about this person. Mm-hmm. I want to see this person be okay regardless. And the reason why I'm upset at this person is because I love this person yep. so much. Yep, and yep, that's yep. that's the point. And I think that those tender moments that you pointed out, like you pointed that one out, Jake pointed out Carol apologizing to Kamala. Like the all of those little moments give the movie an emotional cohesion. And I think that's why tonally everyone's kind of like i know how i felt in this mm-hmm. movie and after the the emotional cohesion of it really works and you know where we have in all the other avengers movies like someone has a beef and it lasts for many movies like movies on it yeah man would, li- would rather be a criminal in europe than go to therapy slash talk to tony stark Right, exactly. Like, Captain America, for as great as he is, still never really apologized for, like, busting a whole country. Like, so the, those tender moments are are really important. And I guess I it goes into, I don't like to call, like, certain types of emotions feminine, but it does create a, it is kind of part of, like, the feminine feeling or aesthetic mm-hmm. of the movie that makes it, work and feel very true to life so mm-hmm. yeah, i have a question human. for cecilia because you, uh, you've mentioned before because i not everyone listens to every episode what is can you restate what rosa's general objection to superhero movies is because i have a question <laughs> about her no i have a question about how she felt about this so rosa's objection to superhero movies rosa's my eight-year-old daughter um and she's a very very girly girl but she thinks she feels like they're too boyish and I'm like, what about the, and I've talked to her many times. I'm like, what about the ones where there are girls like Captain Marvel? And she's like, I still don't like it. And I think that there's something about violence that is just kind of like automatically coded as for boys, which is on one hand, really sad that an eight year old already feels like violence equals boys, boys equal violence. Like that's, that's something that I would like to try to deconstruct Mm-hmm. And I feel like I can do that in my own home, but with all the, like, she still lives in society and interacts with, like, kids at school and watches these movies. Like, there's only so much that I can do. And so this movie, she really enjoyed it because, like, violence was not the animating thrust to it. The conflict, and I guess that's, like, part of the critique, is that the villain and the conflict was not really robust, but when you're when you're trying to... it. It does make femininity just kind of not work with a violence or a f- violence as an organizing like feature of something. And so I think that's why she liked it. Um, yeah, it was a softer movie. Um, so, but yeah, that's Rosa's. I mean, you, you answered the follow-up question I was going to ask. So <laughs> instead, I'll ask a joke follow-up question of since her favorite was Monica Rambeau, how do you feel about raising a woman in STEM? No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... Once she gets into middle school, I'm not going to be able to help her with any of her homework. No, I mean, but yeah, I, I think I think that that is. I also think that well, I think there are fair critiques of the villain not being fleshed out, et cetera, et cetera. I also think that a lot of the critique. I think the people will critique these types of movies with as if there's like a template for the amount of everything we need to have. And like, I actually think it's somewhat okay if a villain is not as crucial. Like, because I think that it, we expect that like. Every every superhero movie does not need a super compelling villain if the other stuff is good. Like if there's nothing in its place, then fine. But I feel like this is not the the story that Nia Costa was trying to tell is not one about you know 
it's a story about people coming together. It's not really a story about this specific person. And yeah, could the movie have been better if the villain was more linked to the struggles that the heroes are going through emotionally? Absolutely. But like, not everything could be a masterpiece. Yeah, I, that's the thing. Like, am I gonna add more Darben and take away from Nick Fury and the cons? I don't know. Like, I, I feel like that's not something I want to do. That's just kind of where where I am. Like, where you get those nice little little funny moments with them, with the cons on the ship, the pops, with hashtag Watch Agenda being a little worried about. Oh yeah, can we do a Watch Agenda corner quickly? There's the the yeah, what's up? His thing within the index bonds, right? And then I know that when we were in the, the even before we left the theater, I know he put it in the Discord. Mike Springer said to you that the, your favorite scene was when Nick Fury was coming off the ship. Yo, oh my, <laughs> just <sighs> talk about it. <laughs> so this man surrounded so by cats they, too. I feel yo, like that's important. To, also, salute here. to Flerkin. Shouts to Flerkin. Always shout out to Flerkin. A goose, goose is a legend out here in these streets. Um, but yes. They land, the, you know, obviously the, the, the ship has a little bit of a rough landing. And the way that Fury, like, comes out holding his back like that. Oh, my God. I was dying. I was dying in that theater, man. It was so good. So good. Like, and I, and, and it's funny, like, in Secret Invasion, like, some of the best moments were, were Fury being washed. But... Just the palette, the tone of this version of Washed was just a lot more happier. Yeah, it was humorous. It was humorous. It was just it was just so good. Oh my gosh, the way he's holding his back. <laughs> and I've been there. I've been there. I get it. And and once again for the audience, I'd like to stay for the record that there is I think a thirty seven age year difference hey, between what? Samuel Jackson and uh, Anthony. What's thirty seven years? It's not that long. It's not that long. Yeah, I'll be there soon enough. Um but uh, yes, I uh, Fury in this movie was a was it was a pleasant surprise. It was a nice little uplift, nice little shot in the arm for Nick. And he has um, such good chemistry with Brie Larson, really. Oh like, my god! I mean, famously, they're, they're really good best friends. Friends, they're besties, yes. which makes me so happy, and is why I know all the incels of the internet are wrong about her because I trust Samuel Jackson, judge of character, way more than them. Oh my god! Also, yeah. I, 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 I don't know if you guys saw, but she was on the Tonight Show and she told an anecdote of she, she wanted like another take for a scene. And she's like, is that okay? And he said, I'll do anything for my second favorite scene partner. And he's, she said, who's number one? And he said, me! Which is the perfect Samuel <laughs> Jackson story. But yeah, I, I, I think he's just, he's so fun when he's allowed to be fun, when he's allowed to be off ball. Like, he's not yeah. a very good on ball guy in, in Nick, as Nick Fury, I don't think. Um, yes, I think but like, fair. some of his deliveries, I mean, the bit where uh, he's like, are you praying? Don't stop. We need all the help we can get. Like, Amen. little lines like that are great. <laughs> yeah, and it was nice. I, you, you'd see the chemistry between them in the first movie, but of course he was under a CGI mask. So yeah, this they could really like play off of that yeah. really well. Their, their exchange about like don't touch shiny things like that felt like that is really oh, like that's oh this Monica is... though yeah <laughs> she right. also has that problem <laughs> true. But I guess I, I guess there's certain scenes where you're just like this scene is nothing. This scene is actually stupid on paper of like Catherine Rome saying sorry I want to touch shiny things, but when you have actors that have energy it's like that's all you need writing is writing and directing are worthless if you don't have actors with good energy between them yes 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 and and obviously you know this movie has a lot happening in it and you know as we get towards the towards the end and and darben is dispatched uh monica has to you know close up a rift in in a dimension 
And unfortunately, unfortunately, she gets caught on the other side. So the movie concludes with with Carol uh, coming back to Louisiana and and the cons moving in for a little bit. Uh, Kamala and, and Carol have a nice a nice scene talking about their 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 present and their future. That was that was cool. And then we get Kamala Khan in her in her star moment. Pulling a Nick Fury in 2008 as one Kate Bishop walks through her door in New York City and she sees Kamala Khan just basically reenact the post credit scene to Iron Man. This was absolutely wonderful. We have our we have our young Avengers tie in or honestly, like there was a part of me that was thinking like, how about a force instead? That's just like just put all the women together. Like that's that it, it crossed my mind for a, a brief bit, even though I know Young Avengers is where they were going. But I want everybody to kind of give their thoughts on on this uh, this moment. It's it's great to see uh, Kate Bishop again. Uh, Leah, what did you think of this this scene? I mean, it, it's it's a put up or shut up moment for me. If we're gonna do Young Avengers, you gotta do it. Stop teasing me. They've been teasing me for the last three years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of my favorite teams. Kamala's not on it canonically, but I'll allow it. She can be there. <laughs> she can be their yes. leader. I have all kinds of theories as to who they should get next. Um, oh, wait a minute. If you, wait, if you, ha- if you have theories, I want to hear. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We have a lot of content we need to fill up over the next few months. I see. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Go. So I, th- here's. What I think okay. they should do. Well, this is, oh gosh, this is a theory within a theory. So due to how Loki ended, I know we are now like seeing maybe a way out of Kang Dynasty. Maybe. I Yeah, maybe. I think the, maybe the best thing they could do to put a coda on that if they need to is to introduce Iron Lad, who is a Kang variant, who is younger, mm. so it would be played by a different actor. And he is a member of the Young Avengers. And he's also Cassie Lang's boyfriend, which is complicated considering Cassie Lang's role in Quantumania. Mm -hmm. So that would be an interesting thing to do. Um, You sold me once you said there was a complicated romance involved. I'm a simple man. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Will they ever do a complicated romance in Marvel again? Who knows? Who can say? Again, was there one in the first place? I don't know. Do you want to count like Steve Peggy? There, that's complicated. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's complicated insofar as time, but like in actuality, yeah. it's the most like chaste 1930s romance ever. <laughs> Boo. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Well, because who else is that? Yeah, because I think like I, I there's Ironhearts out there. Ironheart. Um, and Loki. She could do that. Kid Billy Loki would be fine. Billy Whoever, and Tommy grow up. She Hulk. Yeah, not my um, not my small Hulk, but you know, I'll <laughs> allow it. I would prefer Teddy. Um, they've got America. I mean, yeah, America. Uh, Billy, and, Billy and Tommy. Yeah, we got st- we got stature. Um, yep. You know, and that and she is the only other one who's mentioned in the scene. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you know Ant Man had a daughter? Um, Oh, and then and then we saw Eli Bradley. Yeah, we should. Yeah, that's the other one. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know whether or not he's gonna be. He should be in. 
cap for. Yeah, we'll I don't see. Know why yeah, not. We'll see because I know um I know Isaiah's in it. Yeah. So. So well yeah I'm 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 intrigued. Uh yeah, Young Avengers as I was reading some of it over the last year and change uh with some of the Kang stuff, the Iron Lad stuff that is very much my vibe and it would very very much fit in. Yeah. If they you know translating however they decide what they decide to do with Kang, um you can definitely do like an offshoot thing mm-hmm. of it, but I will just say, like, just seeing uh, Kate and Kamala together. I mean, Jake and I talked about this, like, about, about a, I think, a month and a half ago or whatever it was. But I would say, put those two together. Yeah. And yeah. then you already and, you got it right and there. And instantly, Kate Bishop becomes less G-Wiz than she was around uh-huh. um, Hawkeye, okay. around Clint. Well, she's also Hawkeye. I was like, And I think, I-, I mean, this is the obvious thing to say, but we have to get Peter Parker in there, like, yeah. Yesterday. Like he Well he, Kamala Khan, did you see her dislike? She dislikes spiders. Yeah, I did see yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did so see that. He's got to be there. And what's so funny is like he has been mm-hmm. the kind of like G Wiz kid for so long, but like at this point he would kind of be of the young Avengers, like the most veteran, you know, yeah. has the most history mm-hmm. with with like big battles and stuff. And so I think it could be really funny to have him be in there like, oh yeah, I'm the big hotshot. I know how all this shit goes down. Like I would be really interested to see that and have mm-hmm. the rest of the audience be like, you're not fooling anybody. Um, mm-hmm. But him and Kamala, I need that mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very much in, I'm very much intrigued and excited. And it's, it is like to Leah's point, it's exciting to finally get a little bit, some, a little bit of a morsel of something. Substantial. They are yes. very gay in the comics though. So Marvel needs to get its mind right yes. with that. Mm-hmm. If they're going to actually do this team. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Definitely. So. interested in, in Yeah. Definitely interested in seeing that. Um, so yeah, we have that, and that ends the film. But there is another scene. There is a a post credit scene where we find Monica on another Earth. She wakes up. She sees one Hank McCoy, CGI Kelsey Grammer. Beast is in the house. Jake, what did you think? I mean, I knew it was coming because you mentioned it previously uh, on the spoilers chat in the Discord. But yep. it's just seeing it. It's like it's crazy that it's real. I think that um, I think a thing I've joked about forever is that they should bring back Kelsey Grammer's Beast because I think that there's just a, such a funny thing that happened, and evidently the people at Marvel Studios agree with me. <laughs> um, and I just think that like I don't know, I, I was really excited to see him, and I'm glad that they're finally like because I think forever people are like when are they going to introduce the X Men? When are they going to introduce the X Men? And like I think that lumping it in with the multiverse storyline is probably a good way to go because it's you gotta do it some you gotta you gotta make it make sense somehow and so i like that we're just getting teases of it while other stuff is going on um and yeah i think and i'll let everyone else talk about it but i think the more important and most impactful part of the scene had nothing to do with heck mccoy yes yes i i agree with that as we also see uh, a version of a, a version of monica's mom um in the binary suit uh, from the Uncanny X Men, that was pretty cool. Uh, Leah, okay, give me your thoughts. What you got? Okay, okay. I did not know that much about binary. Um, that makes more sense. I was like, mm-hmm. but why that there? Um, yeah, 
I mean, I don't know. Is it, is it, I've been tricked before with multiverse of madness. Is it, uh, is this like going to be the X-Men universe that we see or I don't know. Um, well, I mean, the way that I look at it is this, if the build is the secret wars and mm-hmm. we're going to do the incursions version of it, mm-hmm. um, we're going to get different versions of X-Men. I'm Loki sure has to stretch. Yeah, that's right. He's Loki stand up and point. stretch and then it's going to ruin yes. everything. <laughs> <laughs> if that's literally what it was <laughs> a, fly, a, a fly lands on his nose and he tries to swat it away and then a squirrel <laughs> oh my gosh how does that man eat like what, what's gonna he happen in there anymore he's a god he doesn't he's eat in anymore. a tree it's oh, so sad. The, the man is a tree like he's not in it he is a tree <laughs> oh my goodness but yeah i think with the i think with the incursions what we have here is just the continuing build to secret wars and what i do think is the eventual beyonder battle world storyline where we'll see different versions of x-men we're bringing every sony fox person that you could think of into that mix and now seeing more of these characters honestly like i think the thing that i do hope with with monica here is i kind of want them to go back to what like you know this place that she's in now and to get some some scenes with her and and that and this version of maria and kind of have a little back and forth and we'll see where that goes see how that builds um you know just more than anything obviously you see the see anything um involving the x-men it's a cool thing and beast even mentions charles this version's charles is alive so that that you know makes you think a little bit about what this version is so obviously it's not the version that uh multiverse of madness is so we're we're stretching out the multiverse oh. a bit at a time because remember yeah, charles right. died in in uh in uh multiverse of madness it means so. it's also not deadpool because that yeah, has nicholas because that is nicholas holt exactly and it's also not post logan because uh charles Xavier dies in that universe exactly so So we are stretching the multiverse out a little bit and i think that's like why you know that's where if you want to buy in like not just the diehards but you know like like folks who've been seeing these movies for for a while and you and you pop the crowd with a with a beast and stuff like that because i think folks are folks are just intrigued anytime you mention the x-men and i do think like jake said to just sprinkle them in here and there Till you get to a point where you can build out your own X-Men, which which I'm thinking that Kevin Feige is thinking of, is you, you know, give nice nods to the past and show a little love to nostalgia and then eventually give a new team their new thing, which is what I would see as the long term plan. So I think that was a that was a very exciting scene. It was a very exciting setup. Um, Cecilia, you got anything on that scene that you wanted to add? Well, I was very excited to see it. Um, heartbroken that it wasn't Nicholas Holt, so hopefully they can rope him back in at some point. Um, I would love to see a version, like, you know, the Peter the Great ver- version of the of the Beast um, played by Nicholas Holt would be super fun. Just go really unhinged. Um, <laughs> die in a lake or something. But I need more information if you have it on binary because I they like they made a such a big deal like the the camera kind of over dramatically like 
zooms out and it's like you see her whole body in her suit and i'm like this means nothing to me what's happening so well yeah. i mean and- this i mean it's a carol danvers i mean it's a it's carol danvers it, it like is a version of her in in the book so like mm-hmm. them obviously using maria for this is interesting maria is a is a captain marvel version in in the multiverse of madness movie mm-hmm. so i i'm i'm interested that they're using lashana lynch so much uh, as these different versions, mm-hmm. it's exciting that they're bringing her back uh, in the fold. But I mean, I mean, anybody who has the Captain Marvel powers is a very serious deal. Mm-hmm. So you hope to see that it, th- this is a strong person that uh, will be able to battle in Secret Wars at some point. And that's really like the best way to describe it. The, she is like Carol Danvers has gone through so many like iterations of who her character is in the books in terms of not only outfits but uh power sets to yeah. to a degree as well. So why is she with the, I don't know. I like I couldn't I was like why are you with the X-Men? Are you are is, are you a mutant here? Like is that what we're doing? Like there was a lot of there was I had I just and I realized that it's a post-credit scene so they really want you to like mm-hmm. walk away with more questions than answers, but I was just kind of like what's going what is this? <laughs> well, I mean like uh C- Captain Marvel had a you know, a tangle up in the books, like a very actually serious storyline where uh, Rogue take, steals her memories. Oh. And this is kind of where they play into the memory stuff with Carol in these movies, but not obviously the same way. But that's where that kind of memory thing kind of shows up in the books uh, with Rogue. So I think that, you know, if we get whatever, however we decide, however they decide to do this, um, with binary i think you know sometimes they show it as a prop sometimes it's just that just like be like oh wow this person is really like involved with the x-men and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but um i think this is one of the the instances where i would like to see them dive into that a little bit further at some point but Mm -hmm. obviously all this depends on what makes money and executives and everybody talking about you know what's the best way to go with marvel these days as you know, seems to be the big conversation around everywhere as uh, as journalists, uh, places like Variety continue to just like hammer away and hammer away like somebody took their access away or something along those lines. <laughs> At least what it feels like to me. But um, but yeah, like we'll, we'll have to see what happens. But I do feel like this was I know like that was a big pop for the crowd in the theater that I was in that end uh, credit scene and I would like to see them build on it. So, you know, it'll certainly be fascinating to see for sure. It does seem like they're scattering heroes and maybe that's the connective thread in this phase that we're missing. Like Dr. Strange is somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Went to another dimension. Yep. Now Monica somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Yes. I I think that there's going to be some movie. Yeah. That is going to have someone g- gather everyone up. Uh, I think. Uh, oh, possibly, you know. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know why I'm being teased. I think that that's kind of like, at least that's what Deadpool yeah. 3 seems like it's going to be. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that, I think that, I think that they'd be served by doing it sooner rather than later. Cause I think that you, I don't want it to be, I, I don't want to be in 2025 and still leaving characters in different universes. Like I want there to be some progress on them doing this going forward. Cause I think that you can, but the thing I always bring up is that like, Thanos didn't have a scene for more than like three minutes until Infinity War. I think people yeah. overrate how much they seeded it beforehand. Yeah. And I think that like it would be a mistake if they're still seeding 
this thing five years from now. You know, like, let's eventually make some motion on it. You don't think Deadpool 3 is now going to be three hours of jokes about the strikes? No. Uh, <laughs> no, because, I, I mean, I sure hope not. It's going uh, to be in it, though. We all got to brace ourselves. They're, they're going to make a that- joke about the strike. If if Ryan Reynolds was on the picket line every day, the joke would be something that I would laugh at. But it's probably the joke is probably gonna be something like, "You wanted this movie sooner, but the SAG had to go on strike." So, um, yeah, I don't love don't love how much Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman were like, "Come on, let's just end this so we can make our Deadpool three again." Like, shut up. <laughs> Didn't love that. Yeah, it wasn't uh, not their fi- not their finest moment for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, you know, before we before we wrap up, I want to get some final thoughts from everybody on on just the Marvels in general. Uh, I'll go around the room. Uh, Jake, I'll start with you. So I have to ask the question because this is the thing that was debated on Discord. It was the first discussion Springthrow and I had leaving the theater. Have uh, Carol and Valkyrie like have they? You know. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> glad you mentioned. I forgot about. I completely forgot about. Because I have I have two different takes, but I want to hear. I want to hear Leah and Cecilia first because they would know better than I would. Um. So wait. So what are you asking? Like, have they hooked up? Like, is is there romantic something going on there? Because I'll say this: my TikTok feed has already been filled with edits that I did not expect to be done that fast. Okay. So I know that this is a popular fan pairing. So it Mm -hmm. is a it is a nod to that. Mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm. God, they won't let these Asgardians have same sex relationships, will Mm -hmm. they? Oh my god. Um these poor things. When I mean that's a so she kissed her on the cheek and then yeah. Carol was in a platonic marriage with a man. Mm. I don't know. Yes. I, don't know. I I mean I mean uh, I mean they had definitely it definitely feels like there's some romantic uh undertones or overtones where it was just like I don't know. Was, Valkyrie was very very like romantic yeah. romantic nurturing yes. person. Well, and that is at least at bare minimum that's because the two actresses are a fan of the ship and tweet each other back fan art constantly. So they're I don't uh-huh. know, they're into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're down to party. So my take was that either there's something going on there or I could imagine based on the way that Carol is characterized in the movie that Valkyrie makes incredibly overt overtures towards it and carol doesn't notice one of the two that those are the two those are the two possibilities <laughs> That's uh, there's definitely a heavy flirtation that probably went on and i don't know like there's no there's no like official i feel like relationship as of yet but i definitely do feel like it's either on the way or they had like a tryst and they haven't really like decided what they are Ooh. yet <laughs> what, I, I it just it makes me genuinely mad that we're not like not even like in like a salacious way, but like, why is this not in the text? You know, well, I mean, I've complained enough about Marvel not having romance and sex in it, but like, this they clearly have so much energy. The fans clearly want it. Remember and I understand Love and Thunder was super gay, like in five different interviews. Yeah, and then it what wasn't? It wasn't. No, no, really. It wasn't. And it's like they, they, they clearly like. If this was not a property that needed to be sold in countries that they probably wouldn't like this in, if I was seeing the energy that those two characters had on set, I'm like, well, we got to write this in somewhere. Like, it just, it just coming off the screen. And so anyway, that was just a question I had to ask because, you know, no, I feel my you. mind's always in the gutter. No, no, I feel you. But do you actually, like, beside, was that like your final thought? Yeah, I mean, when you say it like that, when you say it like that, no, um, I, yeah, I think that this is just like a, 
I think that this movie is one thing I was really thinking about when I was leaving is this movie is going to be a really good rewatch in comparison to a lot of other movies because mm-hmm. it actually, even though on the front end it requires base knowledge, the actual plot of the movie requires very, it's not connected to a ton of other stuff. Yeah, it's nothing yeah. that happens in this movie is going to be made worse by future movies. If that makes sense. Like I agree. Th- this is this, a lot of the positive stuff I like about phase one movies where it actually felt pretty low stakes, even though technically speaking, the sun was in jeopardy of being sucked away. But like, even then, like I didn't, I like that. They didn't really spend that much. You never really thought it was going to happen. And you know, it's not that kind of movie. One sun, who cares? Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I think I, I'm going to look forward to just throwing this on. And man, the hour 45, wonderful stuff. Just it's perfect. It breezes. That's why I felt like it, it was very, the pace was, was, was excellent. Uh, Leah, how about you? You got any final thoughts? Yeah, I think, I hope that this one will gain favor over time and that it will sort of age very well. I feel like it probably will. I already have seen a lot of people be like, oh, this was actually good like take sort of that approach to like i thought mm-hmm. it was gonna suck and it was actually good right well don't be a downer um in the first place um <laughs> <laughs> so that is my thought about that yeah i think i think okay. it's gonna i think we'll be happy with this i was happy with it now i think it's just gonna get better and better wonderful stuff and cecilia how about you yeah, I agree. I think that, I mean, there's a lot of things that make it a good rewatch. One is, like, that it's an hour and 45 minutes. Like, there'll be many nights in the future when, you know, Brent is out of town, and I'll just be like, all right, kids, let's just have a chill movie night, and you can still get to bed on time. So there's there's that. There, It does feel nice. Um, it is lower stakes. But then also, like, to Leah's point, the negative feet, or the negative the criticism that I've seen really just has to do with like it's flopping at the box office. Like I haven't actually mm. really seen any mm. good or compelling mm. critique against the actual content of the movie. And so I do think that it might be a slow burn for a lot of people. And Marvel's had a bunch of slow burns. Like there's a bunch of movies that people were like so, so or slept on at the beginning that have developed, you know, mm-hmm. a new, yeah. a new love over time. And I think yeah. that this, easily I, one I actually got a text from my dad last night that was like you saw the new Marvel movie I saw people saying it might be the worst one and I'm like well I'm like I that's ridiculous I mean it's not making a lot of money and then but then what I said is and this and I kind of always say now is like but I'm not in charge of Disney's balance sheets so like yeah. uh, why do I care like mm-hmm. I, I think that the, I, I think we spend a lot of time talking about why they're performing the box office and it's important to understand but I think that like there's a way people get too invested in it as if it as if it is more paramount to how you actually feel about it, because like, yeah, yeah I, 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 I mean, people, with, yeah. Sorry, I was just gonna say, like, no. with with this movie in particular, like, what I saw was like, oh, they're gonna sell a bunch of uh, Halloween costumes next year. Like, mm-hmm. there's gonna be all these little, you know, Monica Rambeau's and Miss Marvels going around. Like, so especially with kids, it's going, it's gonna stick around. It's just not everybody wants to take their kids to the movie theaters. So, I've like, seen- yeah some people say the plot is nonsense and i think i have to just agree to disagree uh lady wants water air Mm -hmm. and sun yeah three other women powers entangled yeah they have a relationship they've solved like it's not really that complicated right i think people what i notice a lot because i'm someone who 
I, I, there's really no mainstream. There's no movie that's going to be released at four thousand screens that's actually confusing. It's not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> and so exactly. I think what happens is people actually just don't. Like, I can understand if you think you don't need to listen to what the characters say, you get confused. But, like, sorry, you're in a sci-fi movie. You gotta listen to yeah, the things I don't, the characters and, say. And I don't think the the space politics is any is really any more complicated than putting on a Star Wars and they're in the middle. Like, there's an intergalactic conflict mm-hmm. that you're getting just pieces of because you're being thrown into the middle yeah. of it. You're, mm-hmm. You should be, we should be trained to yeah. do this by this point. Exactly. By just movies in general. Exactly. Yeah. In a, yeah. I, I mean, I understood Tenet, so that's like I maybe. But I mean, same. I, 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 so we're of a different breed. Exactly. <laughs> you're damn right. We're of a different. Breed. I've said before the only mainstream movie I ever didn't understand the plot of was Atomic Blonde, but I think that that movie never made sense ever. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I think that also it's like air, water, and sun—the most basic things. It's not like they're looking for a crazy resource. And in case you didn't get it the first time, it's very easy to see the water pour through the portal. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just want to say this. I came to the conclusion, even before the strike, that people were going to badmouth and talk yeah. about this movie mm-hmm. a certain way anyway. Yeah. They were always going to do this. Because they had also come this... to that conclusion before the strike. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, I think, the, I think the thing that really, you know, sticks out to me is this just gave people a reason to to spew whatever they were going to spew out. Also, like, I mean, I'll take it back to the end of Secret Invasion. Jake and I talked about it with Rod at the time. We were, you know, it seemed like for it seems like for whatever reason, and it happened over the last year, and then specifically Quantum Mania, it seems like they're trying to get Marvel out the paint. I don't know if it's Hollywood, I don't know if it's anybody specifically, but it's almost like they've seen enough. They're like, all right, well, this is like because it's coming from everywhere and most of the time, and you mentioned it earlier, Leah, as far as the, and the Cecilia as well, with the box office talk. When did we start analyzing all of our movies with just box office? <sighs> just, that's it. That's like, amazing. we're not talking about, oh, the movie was good, the movie was bad. Well, it made this amount of money, so therefore, oh, but nothing about there was a strike that lasted six months. Mm-hmm. Nothing about that these are... Uh, one of the diverse women casts in this movie that didn't get to promote it at all mm-hmm. until after the movie came out. There's none of none of that stuff. None of the stuff. You don't see it in any article. Not even one little piece of it. You don't see none of it. None at all. But you know what? It made $47 million. Marvel flops. That's what you see. And that really tells me all you need to know about the business and what um and how media has changed in to that degree where the talk is so different and honestly it's like really like this dead non-human way of discussing going to theaters and i i think what people don't understand is like you know a lot of people will compare stuff to um you know barbie and oppenheimer that was a that was a, a a very unique event that occurred. If you look across, and it's not just Marvel that this is happening to. This is happening all across the board. Movies are struggling. Yeah. The pandemic changed stuff. Mm-hmm. I think we have to acknowledge that at some point. But it seems like in the reporting, it's never acknowledged. And- it's just like, again, which it leads me to believe, especially with, with Variety writing like 45 articles every two days. <laughs> 
about everything that well you know the marvel's flop what does the mcu do now it's like they're gonna just you know they obviously uh disney has to figure out and get their ducks in a row on certain things that happen we've seen a lot of articles with truth to them as far as what their business situation is and how they've gone about their business over the last few years and clearly there has been some malfeasance slash just negligence in a lot of places they have to adjust for that but I do, I do not like, I do not like that this movie has to be the front facing, yeah. gets the all of the all of the the shit stain on it. Like this has to be the movie that we got to do it when it's the when it's the three diverse women mm-hmm. and, and acting that's like, like... Acosta is someone they took off the street. As if like John Watts didn't direct like two movies that made like a buck fifty combined, but no, Nia Dacosta made a Candyman movie that tripled its budget. She's not qualified. Grabbing television actor, television directors left and right. Yeah, I hate. I I hate a business major to under to be a fan of movies. I hate having to know the difference between Bob Iger and Bob Chapek. They're both named Bob. Don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Seems bad in different ways. It's 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 also like you know there, uh-huh. there's the movies exactly yes. like it's right. and and the thing too is that I know Leona you and I were talking about this at some point beforehand that like the thing that's so frustrating about a lot of this talk is that so much of this talk about like specifically when people say that the reason the Marvel movies are failing or this one failed is because you need to watch a lot of stuff beforehand. What the thing that frustrates me about that is the people who say that are not like single moms working two jobs they don't have time. They're big dorks like us who have the time to watch all this shit too. They're just mad about it. Like, I, you knew never has complained about having to watch a lot of stuff. My dad, who watches fucking everything, he watched all of Bosch. He watched all of Reacher. He watches all of Jack Ryan. He also watches all of the Marvel stuff because he has the time. Like, that is just so clearly not the issue. People watched WandaVision. It was nominated for a lot of Emmys. It made a yeah. lot of mm-hmm. lists. It was Agatha all along. That yeah. was a cultural moment. We can't act like it was. Yeah, people forgot. And, and, yeah. Well, and like the whole emphasis just on, mm-hmm. like, we are looking kind of just at these material, like, um, how much money it made. It's completely obscuring, I mean, to AC's point, the movie itself, but it's like nobody knows even how to look at him at a cultural object for what it is anymore. Like there's mm-hmm. no one can see this, you know, visually we saw this, you know, narratively this happened all of, it's just like this movie is in response to all these other things. And everything is just about, you know, the actors, the directors, the like all the behind the scenes politics. I'm like this, a thing was made like a, a work of art and I would call it art. A work of art was made and nobody seems to know how to interact with a work. And I'm saying that now is kind of like a grieving English teacher at a college where I'm like just trying to get people to interact with a work of art as it is itself. And, and it's like pulling teeth. And then I'm like, well, it's doing this, this and this people are like, Oh my gosh, I never would have thought of that. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, Really, it's sad. It makes me very sad because, yeah. yeah. No, and no, it, I, yeah. I, yeah, I completely feel you on that front. And the thing that I'll add about it, and I think it's just the way that people generally consume the media now, I think is a big part of this. I think the way that the reporting is done is now a big part of this, where we now know way, way more about what happens behind these sets and behind these scenes than we ever have. So... I think it just allows for the conversation to be about something else besides the actual stuff that's on the screen. No, I mean, it reminds me of like when people talk about 
the difference between basketball and football in the way that it is covered by the media mm-hmm. is that with basketball, you talk about the transaction. You talk about everything but the game. And with this, we're talking about everything but the actual content mm-hmm. itself that comes out. So, like, that's a big part of what's happening here. And it's really just, like, distorted the dialogue as far as everything that we're doing. And it just does not help the – it does not help the consumption of something like this where it was just honestly just a good time and a lot of fun. Mm. And that really should be the focus, but it never is at this point. And the two things I'll add to, you know, round it out is the thing that's frustrating about it is that so many people who have this kind of view of it are people who – they – often will do it like performatively to say like the reason why they're shitting on the MCU is because they like care about other movies, which I'm sure they do, but it feels like their stance is almost as anti-art and entertainment as the people who control these corporations. Like if you're like using box office returns to like make a grand statement about the MCU, like that is as anti-art as, you know, anything David Slaz left on. It just is. Um, And I will say that I, I genuinely do because I, I, people have been tweeting at me about it. I do feel bad about the no guts, no glory prediction I made because it's definitely going to be right. And uh, Leah beforehand, like a couple weeks ago, I said that I thought that uh, the Battle of Sonnenberg and Snakes was going to outgross the Marvels by over $100 million. And unfortunately, I think that number might be low. I don't feel good about it. Uh, but yeah, I, you, I've seen it. So I've heard it's really good. My guy, Frankie Lawrence, you know, he knows how to direct Boy. the movie. Um, hey, I... You're talking to someone whose uh, Constantine is in his top 10 all time, so I'm very excited. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it's, it's unfortunate. It's the whole concept of, what is it? The, um, correct if I'm wrong, but the glass cliff is the term where, where you give an opportunity to a person of color or a woman the moment that it's going to fall off. Like, of course. It just, it just yeah. so, it makes me so fucking mad. Um, but yeah, I think I, I, the thing that makes me happy, though, is I actually have seen a lot more people say what Leah's saying. Like, people who are not in film Twitter or whatever, the general consensus has almost always been like, yeah, that was a really good time. Like, that was a good time, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, and I think that that will give it a better legacy. I almost imagine, like, it feels like someone said that it's going to have a legacy like Birds of Prey, which I don't think is wrong, oh, necessarily. My favorite superhero movie. Yo, shout out to Birds of Prey. Which is a banger, a, and, a you know, yeah. and, like, obviously, I would rather Birds of Prey have been successful in theaters in the same way I wish the Marvels was successful in its first run. But, like, it's better to be that than not. And I think I really, that once someone made that comparison, I'm like, that's exactly it. That's exactly what we're looking at, where, you know, the traditional people who see these movies didn't want to see it and then the people who it's for will see it a couple years later and be like oh shit this is exactly what i've been looking for this whole time ladies and gentlemen that was the marvels the 33rd film in the mcu it's uh fun talking about it with this wonderful panel this evening uh cecilia and leah when i pre- want to say thank you for joining us this evening appreciate you guys uh cecilia where can we find you where can we find what you're doing out here well, more and more these days, you can find me right here. Uh, so that's super fun, though. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Cecilia M. Stokes, and that's C-E-C-E-L-I-A-M. Stokes. Um, this week, for as one of the Patreon episodes, I'm going to be trying something super experimental. I'm working on a research project with audiences, Latinx audiences and fans of Spider-Man. And so the guys have graciously let me try out this new little methodology, research methodology. So Patreon plug there if you're interested in putting, you know, the university and the MC University pod, then that's (laughs) that's where you can. Glad we started doing it five and a half years in. (laughs) 
<laughs> it took us a little while, but we got there eventually. Um, but but yes, thank you, Cecilia. Appreciate you joining us as always. And Leah, nerdalist Leah. Yes, yes. Where can we find you um, and your work? You can find me on Twitter and Twitter and Letterboxd at Leah yeah. at Leah Marilla. There you go. <laughs> um, what am I up to? Well, this week, at some point this week, I've got a a piece at Polygon dropping about vampires for their vampire week that i'm very oh, excited yeah. about but i don't exactly know what day it's getting published, love vampires so and then so. i also have some hunger games stuff for teen vogue coming up oh um, yes. nice for the ballad which is about a very girly girl in some violence so i'd be intrigued <sighs> i mean when i saw people <laughs> quoting when i saw people quoting your take about oh my god yeah, tell tell what t- I, I explain this. I have a I had a viral tweet from earlier this year where I compared the two Katniss and Lucy Gray. Where I said Katniss is a hunter who's been put in a performance in her Hunger Games. Lucy Gray is a performer who has been put in a hunt in her Hunger Games. And that tweet has not only not only did it go viral, it has been reappropriated on Tumblr. There are TikToks about it to the point that mm-hmm. Rachel Ziegler basically paraphrased it in interviews mm-hmm. now. And, you yeah. know, she could have come to that conclusion on her own as well. I'm not calling her a plagiarist. But, it's been, <laughs> but she's also extremely online. And that's what I love about her, but she's extremely online. She's an extremely online person. So that's been crazy. No, awesome. Congrats. No, that's awesome. Man, looking forward to the Hunger Games. I'm, yeah. I think I might check that one out. Yeah, uh, i seen that one. And and of course, Jake Christie, our producer. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at the Jake Christie. Listen to my other podcast, Love at First Psych, where me and Andre Barrow are talking about the USA Network original series Psych. And yeah, you know, just uh, uh, I thought I had an extra plug, but yeah, just do the Patreon. We didn't do it earlier, you know. But Cecilia, I'm really excited for Cecilia's thing. It's gonna be really cool. Um, getting uh, some research together, and yeah, uh, hopefully we're gonna do more shit like that. As we, if I, you know, might as well. Yes, yes, and that's and that is patreon.com slash mcuniversitypod. Bonus content. We got Hobbs and Shaw on the way. Subscriber mailbag on the way. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at AnthonyCanton underscore three. Follow the show at mcuniversitypod on all platforms. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. I see the numbers going slightly up. We're going up a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. I like to see that. Continue to do so as we continue to put these episodes on video. It's been a lot of fun doing that. And appreciate everybody for listening and supporting Five Star, the show on all different platforms, whatever you may do. And, of course, for Leah, for Cecilia and Jake, I am Anthony Canton the third. This has been Marvel Cinematic University, and we will talk to you next time higher, further, faster, baby. Mm-hmm.